This is the FS Tech Podcast. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to take a look at how organizations are implementing the digital transformation and transparency measures needed to be ready on time for the upcoming 6th AMLD deadline. That's the 6th Anti-Money Laundering Directive, for those of you uh, not in the know. Uh, With just months to go until 6th AMLD is set to be fully enforced in June, organizations are scrambling to adapt to an environment that assigns additional liability for breaches to senior managers and threatens heavier sanctions across the board, with organisations all too aware of the financial and reputational risk should the regulator come knocking. But with the anti-money laundering risk landscape changing rapidly as new threats emerge from digital payments and increased cybersecurity risk, organisations are being forced to re-evaluate their underlying technology infrastructures, as well as improve employee awareness of their responsibilities with regards to 6AMLD. To identify and mitigate the risks across their organisations, financial services IT teams are also looking to cultivate a more nuanced understanding of their data and where it lies, as well as who can access it to ensure real-time transparency of anti-money laundering risk. But with the clock ticking before the deadline, these teams have only a few months to tackle the multitude of challenges surrounding data management, data visibility and data silos without compromising user experience in the process. So, to delve further into these topics, as well as some possible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by William Brown, who's the Head of Global Product Management at Bottomline Technologies. Welcome, William. Hi, Hannah. Pleased to meet you. Great. It's great to have you on the FS Tech podcast. So today, I think we're just going to jump straight into our first question, and that's one about the anti-money laundering risk landscape. And how has it changed for financial services institutions uh, in the past 12 months? Great question. Big question as well to kick off with, Hannah. Yeah, so we're obviously here focusing very much on the anti-money laundering directive number six, which is, you know, as you say, quickly coming down the tracks and going live uh, later this year in June. Um, But yeah, from the last 12 months, there's been a lot of things that have changed across the industry globally. For the first time, really, I mean, I've been in the industry 15, 20 years, and it's the first time that I'm starting to see really internationally there's a lot of alignment going on. So a good example is the latest anti-money laundering directive published by the EU and also over in the US going off on a little bit of a tangent with the Anti-Money Laundering Act 2020. So that's a revised act and it really is, you know, jumps out of me straight away. The alignment between the two different directives. If I could bring it back to the EU Anti-Money Laundering Directive, the real big one, Um, And it's always been a gripe within money laundering. You know, what is the definition of money laundering? It sounds like a stupid question, but, you know, it's an easy one. It's open to interpretation. And all the directives, you know, starting from one up until five, it is open to interpretation. You know, you could have 10 people in a room and they would all have a different take on what does this actually mean? For the first time ever in the money laundering directive, they've actually put down clearly defined 22 predicate offences that are associated with money laundering. So for me, you know, from a regulatory perspective and risk and compliance perspective, that's a real big game changer. So now there's no gray areas. It's very much black and white. These are 22 defined offenses that they see as associated to money laundering activities. So from a financial institution perspective, you know, you actually know right now, okay, guys, we need to ensure that our anti-money laundering programs that we have in place actually cover these 22 predicate offences and we're actually safe and secure so 
the big one for the latest directive in the EU is removing those loopholes. So it is very much about the European Union as one, but within each country, there were still issues that were going on and have ticked along for many years, different national legislation. So that now is one platform. It's all aligned across Europe. So the real big game changer is everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet now. There's no ambiguity. It's clearly defined what you have to comply with. And the one that's going to be very, very prevalent, you know, and has happened year on year, they're really ramping up everything to do with um, penalties. And the real big one within the latest anti-money laundering directive number six is the imprisonment for, you know, individuals. So if you're a person of influence in an organisation, you, if your mind wasn't focused before, I think it definitely will be now. Absolutely. So great that there's clarity there. And obviously, I'm going to talk about the senior management um, responsibility as well um, in just a bit. But I mean, in terms of regulatory challenges, is the industry ready for the upcoming implementation deadline, Um, as well as, as you mentioned, the tougher sanctions regime? You know, is everybody rushing or is it something which, you know, given the disruption of the last year or so um, has been put to the back burner and now everyone is sort of focusing their minds on doing something in a very short space of time? Yeah, no, great question. It's uh, it's one of those things, again, being in the industry a while, you'll get some organisations that are really, really diligent and 12 months, 18 months, two years in advance, they'll be actually thinking about, OK, let's do a review of what we have in place right now and, you know, identifying areas of weakness and then, you know, really upgrading their AML compliance programmes to ensure that they are compliant with the regulations. You get others that are sort of, you know, a little bit flaky, not too sure. In all honesty, I think that's been down to they've been unsure how to interpret the regulation. As I mentioned before, it's now clearly defined. So that can't be used as an excuse anymore. That's gone. I think it's, you know, it's very much a mixed bag. I do think a lot of the organisations, especially within financial institutions, they take AML compliance very, very seriously. You know, if they don't comply with the regulations, what can happen to your organisation is just not a good place to be, you know, from high um, regulatory fines, which for me, again, you know, I can remember back in the days when the first million pound fine happened and everyone was drawing their breath. And we're now moving into tens of millions and hundreds of millions. So, you know, there's only one way that the regulatory fines are going and that's up. Organisations understand that. And the thing that they're really focusing on now, for me, from a regulatory perspective, ignorance is no excuse. So you can't turn around and say, okay, I am on the board of directors. But I didn't know this was happening because the legal standpoint will be you should. It's your responsibility. At the end of the day, it's someone at board level that has to sign off the documentation. So straight away, you're held accountable. So for me, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out. I definitely get the feeling from a compliance perspective that, you know, people are very, very much focused on, okay, new piece of legislation. And again, that ambiguity is no longer there. We need to clearly ensure that we're compliant and we're combating money laundering by these 22 predicate offences I mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, as you said there, you know, focusing minds um, at board level, C-suite, people who are in positions of authority who perhaps don't have direct oversight for compliance, but are responsible for and and ultimately accountable um, for decisions that are made by compliance teams. Um, And that's something that I think, uh, you know, is, is new with this with this directive. How are companies using technology to identify and mitigate the risks of falling foul of this regulation? What sort of approaches can they take um, in order to try and either automate or at least make this process more efficient? Yeah, so I mean, it's been interesting one for me over the years to see how things have evolved. That whole thing of organisations that would be 
reliant on you know manual processes and quite slow and cumbersome and i would say in the last 10 to 15 years you know it's gone the other way now now it's very much you know we need to embrace technology it was only a few years ago it was the first time i actually heard regulatory uh, regulatory bodies actually saying to uh, the different fis across the globe from their perspective you need technology to ensure that your business is compliant if you're reliant on you know that manual approach you're going to be a real problem you know not only from a regulatory perspective but just competitively you will not be able to keep up with market demands and your competitors that are out there so yeah for me technology is a real hub now the majority of businesses now that you speak to technology in one guise or another is the foundation of their business you know someone like bottom line for example you know our heritage for the last 30 years have been very much in that payment and transaction space. So for us, that's meat and drink. That's what we do, it's what we understand. Um, so everything that's connected from a money laundering perspective when it comes to payments and transactions, for us, it wasn't a huge leap. It was just a step to the left, we're away. But the big game changer for me, so if I go back 10, 15 years, I sound like an old man, but there you go. SaaS technology um, within banking. It was one of those things that, yeah, we understand the benefits of it, but we're not too sure about security and blah, blah, blah. Over the years, cloud-based security has improved immeasurably. So the whole thing now of data encryption, taking it to a whole new level. <clears throat> and the whole thing is, you know, you can actually have single tenants on a dedicated server, so you can really lock it down. Um, that's been a real game changer across the industry. So now they can move away from cumbersome, very expensive, very painful on-premise technology and start thinking, okay, the biggest problem that I definitely see with customers, the legacy technology that they have hasn't evolved and grown as the market has, as their business has, and as the regulations have. So they've actually felt restricted and penned in. So the adoption now of more SaaS-based solutions just has opened up a, a whole new world. So from my perspective, talking to customers, they like the fact now that you can have one centralized platform and actually have a holistic view of your business, which you know, for any board of directors, that's what you need. You know, no one can sit there on a board of directors and say, AML has nothing to do with me, because it most definitely is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you talked there um, about, you know, the importance of technology and having that visibility across the business. How uh, significant is transparency and what role can employee and senior leader training play in spotting potential breaches? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it sounds very flippant, transparency an obvious one right but again with every business that's out there the you know you grow organically year to year you know you'll have ups you'll have downs you'll move into new regions you'll move into new verticals um and normally what will come with that depending on what region you're in and what vertical you're in you might say okay we need a new type of technology or different types of data and then you know this is a very common case that i hear a lot especially with businesses that have done well in the last 10 years or so They've got disparate technology, disparate processes, disparate data. Once you actually, from a senior management perspective, start thinking about, okay, how do we aggregate all this together? So one customer that sticks in my mind, and I won't mention them by name, but uh, they said they actually had to employ a data scientist to interrogate their different databases. And then once he got the information, he had to turn all the ones and zeros actually into useful information and then develop reports to give to management. The problem with that approach was it was taking so long, by the time they got the information, it was out of date and virtually useless. So, you know, for me, that whole thing of transparency is at the hub of everything that we do. And again, a very common theme that I'm seeing is customers are looking to centralize their different technologies that they have, moving away from multiple different systems, where 
in all honesty, you'll see a lot of times they have duplicate tasks, duplication. So, you know, they're actually doing things two or three times when they only need to do it once. That's very common, believe it or not. And obviously comes with that, you know, a higher burden and higher cost and slower processes. So that whole thing of, you know, actually centralizing what you have from data processing technology is definitely the way forward. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds as though simplification is, is definitely the way forward, um, especially you know, given the need for um, that kind of visibility across the business, uh, especially if you're a senior leader. So yeah. MLD, um, for the first time, as you mentioned, includes provisions for very specific offences. Um, and so one of those is cybersecurity and its role within the anti-money laundering process. How important is it for cybersecurity teams and IT teams to collaborate? For me, that is just so important now. I think the days have gone now where you can operate a business, especially on a global stage, and you've got silos. It just makes it untenable. And the whole thing about cybersecurity, as you quite rightly said, first time it's been mentioned within a directive. If you've had a cybersecurity breach, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, that you think, well, what was our risk exposure from a money laundering perspective? You know, it could be a rogue employee or it could be um, some sort of cyber gang that's managed to penetrate into your networks. And, you know, they only need a relatively short period of time and they can be processing and laundering millions upon millions of pounds, dollars, euros, whatever it may be. So, again, it, it just sounds like an obvious thing, right? So, as you say, cybersecurity and money laundering and the compliance and risk teams, they should be collaborating with each other. But it's surprising they're very much focused on their day job. And again, that's not trying to be flippant, but it's a case of sometimes you need to actually come up above that and say, okay, we think we've got an area of weakness here. We need to start doing investigations around the bank, for example, to actually see, have we got any breaches that have happened that we know of? If you have, then you've got to alert the regulatory authorities to let them know it's happened. But then you actually have to say, okay, this is the plan of action we're implementing to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned this a bit earlier. Um, you know, What role does data management play when it comes to, again, transparency, but also auditing requirements um, introduced by 6AMLD? Yeah, great question. Um, for me, I'm a bit of a data geek, and I know I look it, don't worry. <laughs> um, whether we like it or not, we're in a data-driven world. Everything that we do technology-wise is driven by data. For me, I just look at it from a, you know, take a step back. From a, an auditing perspective, you need to have a high-credence audit trail, okay? So they need to be chronological. So from a, if something does happen within your business or within your financial institution, um, you need to be able to present evidence to, you know, the regulatory bodies to say, okay, chronologically, this was our decision-making process. You can't say, oh, well, we sort of did that, and we maybe did this, and oh, it could have been that. And again, it's very much being driven by that need for technology. So, everything that we do um, within bottom line, you know, all of our technology, everything is date and timestamp. So, you know, who did what, when they did it, how they did it, and what the next step was. And for me, that is essential for any business that's trying to ensure that, you know, they're actually combating uh, money laundering effectively. And if they do have a breach, they can actually show we did everything that we could and something could happen completely left field that you didn't account for. But we identified it. This is how we identified it. And then this is what we did to mitigate it happening again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, that digital paper trail is is all important and regulators are, are fully and auditors as well are fully expecting um, financial services providers to have immediate access to the data that they need. 
what what are the other potential risk factors related to complacency when we're talking about 6AMLD? Um, and how can uh, financial services institutions ready their systems and their employees over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that key word, complacency for me. And again, it sounds really, really flippant. Just saying, oh, don't become complacent. But it's not a case of becoming complacent today, but next month, next six months, next year. I think we're all guilty of it. And again, this is where your reliance on technology comes in. You know, you come in and you very quickly, you just switch off and just go through the same process every day. Okay. So for me, that's where technology is there to be that first line of defense. You know, so you've obviously got everything to do with cybersecurity, but then you should, and you've referenced it earlier about automating different processes, you know, four eyes approval, which is a big thing in the world that I'm in, where basically you can have certain areas of risk that are quite low. And you're happy for a case investigator to action that, not a problem. Anything above that threshold, it needs to go to your supervisor. And they're the ones who can say, right, okay, this is fine or not. And they can sign off on it. But uh, yeah, for me, it's essential to use technology as your friend and as part of your armory to ensure that you are protecting your business, you're protecting your reputation and ensuring that you guys are actually compliant with the legislation. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I could ask you, um, you know, many more questions about this, but unfortunately, we've come to time now. And um, thank you so much, William, for that uh, fantastic insight into, um, you know, the, the landscape around 6AMLD and uh, what financial services institutions can do to prepare for the uh, the deadline in the coming months. And also, you know, what role technology is playing um, in helping uh, with compliance more generally. Just a final question for you. If our listeners want to find out more about Bottom Line, where can they go? Right. No worries at all. Many thanks for your time today, Hannah. Um, so, yeah, the first port of call I would suggest would be bottomline.com. So that's a bottom line website. And in there, you'll see a v- wide variety of different technologies and services that we offer from, as I referenced earlier, payments and transactions technology to risk and compliance. And then if you do want to reach out and want more tailored information, then info at bottomline.com. Brilliant. All right. Thank you so much for that, William, and um, especially for your time today. It's been great to have you on the FS Tech podcast, and uh, we look forward uh, to welcoming you onto uh, a future podcast. Thanks very much, Will. Thank you, Anna. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech podcast.